We pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it seems like a, an appropriate question to ask just because I think it's on the mind of a lot of people even though we don't always want to ask it. And it's this question. What does a good Christian look like? If you put yourself out in society and you're trying to figure out whether you're going to take the dive and get into God's Word, the Bible, and you're going to figure out what Christianity is, and you might find yourself asking the question, well, what's in it for me? What does a Christian look like? And we're not just talking physical appearances, height and weight. We're not talking clothes. We're not talking race. We're talking, what does a Christian life look like? Or maybe ask more specifically, what is the chief characteristic of a Christian, and, and not just any Christian, a good Christian? How would you answer that? What characterized the Christian life? And the reason why I'm asking, because there is a reason, is because I have come across a number of people who maybe don't want to come out and say it directly, but when you push it, this is their thought. If I am a good Christian, then really there shouldn't be any problems in life. And if, conversely, I am going through some problems in life, I must not be a good Christian. And I can blame those people that I'm talking to all I want, but let's just be real. Sometimes that's the way my mind even thinks. And I think you're the same way. What is it that characterizes a good Christian? Sometimes we fall into that trap of thinking, if I'm a good Christian, if I truly am a good Christian, if my heart is really where it needs to be and God truly loves me, then I should be on easy street here on earth. So let's dive into that thought. And we do that as we bring to a close this study of Romans chapter 1 through 8. And it brings us to one of the most fantastic sections of the book of Romans, the latter half of chapter 8. And once again, we're reminded that grace wins. And we're reminded that the victory is final. And as we're looking at that, we see the answer to the question of what a good Christian can be characterized by. So with that in mind, I ask you to to jump into the Word with me. Once again, we have a little bit of a longer reading. As I'm reading Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, you can feel free to zero in on those sections that are uh, emboldened and and maybe even underlined. i got to see, what did I do with that? 
They're just in bold. The sections that are in bold, those verses, this is what it says. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What, then, shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of our Lord. So what is it that characterizes the good Christian life? Well, let's just throw it out there. If the mindset that maybe is prevalent today or maybe even sneaking into your own thoughts is that if I'm a good Christian, if I truly have God's favor upon me, 
then there won't be any challenges. Paul kind of, he kind of bursts that bubble right away. In fact, last week, for those of you who were able to be here, do you remember that struggle that the Apostle Paul revealed when he says that grace is going to win, it's going to even win in my most personal battle, and then Paul, he revealed for us the struggle of his own sinful nature versus his new man, and how he gets so frustrated because the very good that he wants to do, he doesn't do it. And the things he knows he doesn't want to do or shouldn't do, he ends up doing those things, and he, he talks about those challenges. But now on top of that, just look at that first verse that I read. The Apostle Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings. He's not marketing things very well. (laughs) Because he flat out says, it's a reality. We presently, we currently, we at this moment are going through sufferings. He says, I consider that our present sufferings. So now that the cat's out of the bag and the Apostle Paul is admitting it for us all to hear, Let's just actually take a, brief, a, a deep sigh of relief and say, okay, so I can be a good Christian and still endure sufferings. Because in a way, it almost frees us to think about things in a different way. And it also frees us to be real with each other and real with our God and say, you know what? I am a real Christian and I do have real Sufferings. And what are those things? What are those things that on a daily basis really make life difficult for you? Are they physical maladies? Is it the challenge of becoming a little bit older every day and the body starting to wear down is it the eyesight that isn't what it used to be or the, the fact that the, the functions of the body aren't quite working as we want them to? Or if it's not physical, is it maybe emotional? Where try as you will, you really struggle to keep that even keel during the day because depression is a very real thing and it doesn't take much to set you off and you find yourself lamenting during the day rather than rejoicing? Is it relational? Where the relationships in your life are just not where you want them to be and when you look over at your other friends and you see how good their life seems to be, you realize that you're suffering because you don't have that close network that you want? Or is it something like the Apostle Paul talks about? And he once again is very open about his challenges. Did you see the list that he mentions later in the text? He talks about such things as trouble, which is generic, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Ooh, all of a sudden, the sufferings got real, didn't they? 
And trust me, the Apostle Paul is not trying to get into a one-upsmanship game here. He's not trying to minimize the sufferings that are real in our lives. But let's just let it be known that the Apostle Paul knew sufferings. Persecution and sword were real for him. And they may be real for you. Is one of the ways that you suffer because you don't feel comfortable being who you truly are, a Christian in your workplace environment? Or at your own home where you don't feel comfortable bringing the name of God into conversations because you're worried about repercussions? You see, the sufferings that we go through can take a wide scope and affect us in many different ways. And here's the problem with those things. They start to play games with our mind. And our present sufferings start to cause in us doubt that says, if I'm a good Christian and I'm going through sufferings, then either God is a liar or I'm doing something wrong. And so we turn our attention back to the Apostle Paul. And we ask him what he was enduring and why he was enduring it. And we see it played out in his own life. And as we look at our own situation, the very real challenges, the very real sufferings, we ask him to help us conclude something. But before he gets to his conclusion, we go right back to the natural conclusions that we might draw. What does he say? He says, what then shall we say in response to this? And what is the this that he's talking about? He's saying that there are present sufferings. Let's draw the conclusion. God is either for us or he's against us. And if he's a God of love, and if we talk so much about grace, and we think that the battle is going to be won, which one is it, God? And so all of a sudden we become, using our human logic as faulty as it might be, we become our own worst nightmare. And then there are plenty of people in this world to accentuate it. Because there are plenty of naysayers in society who are going to say, you silly Christian, you don't have it figured out at all. If you're going through sufferings, you're doing something wrong. And this is how they look at you. Do you want to know how they see you? Paul spells it out. He says, For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Doesn't that just really hit to the core of it? The way the world would see us, us foolish Christians, as we put our hope into a God, and yet here we are going through challenging times. They're saying, what kind of God are you? You're so foolish, you're just a bunch of sheep who are waiting to be slaughtered. Now don't get me wrong, we like to be called sheep because normally when we talk about a shepherd and a sheep, we talk about Psalm 23 and the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We talk about John chapter, chapter 10, the fact that the Lord is my good shepherd. 
But this reference to a sheep is saying, you are ready for the slaughter. You've been pulled out of the herd. And it's just a matter of time before you foolish sheep get what's coming to you. And we start to buy into it. And so what do we see? We see the temptation to do what so many do. They come to church. They hear the news of Christ. They leave excited. They go home. They go through a real period of suffering and they say, I didn't do it right. This must be wrong for me. And they abandon the word. We get how we get there. Because we look at our present sufferings, the very ones that the Apostle Paul talks about, but this is where we flip the script. Because grace wins. And the victory is final. And so I want you to go back to that question. What is it that characterizes a good Christian? The answer is, it's a confidence that this world could never give you. And that's what the Apostle Paul has. Go back to those opening words again. I consider, he says, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That word consider means someone who goes through careful investigation. I want you to think of your your Sherlock Holmes image. I want you to put the cap on and pull out the magnifying glass. And he's saying, the Apostle Paul is saying, I've surveyed all the evidence here and I am reaching a conclusion. I now can say, I consider that as rough as these sufferings in a sinful world are, They are absolutely nothing compared to the future glory that is waiting for us. And guess who else is waiting? Nature is. You see, Paul goes into that extended situation, that extended discourse where he says, it's not just we who are going through sufferings, but the fact that we brought sin into this world, we subjected nature to it too. And now nature is groaning, saying, please, I want to get back to where the biospheres are working perfectly and that everyone's in harmony once again and everyone is eagerly awaiting. And Paul is saying, and I can tell you for a fact that grace is going to win and the victory will be final. He lifts our eyes to the future reality and he says, this is why you can be certain. This is why you can be confident If God is for us, who can be against us? And isn't that what Paul has been getting at this whole time? As he goes through the book of Romans, he's saying, you have a God who is so obviously for us, a God who has provided his only son, and if he gave his only son, well, of course he will give you everything else that you need to maintain your confidence, your faith, in the victory that has been won for you. And so in that beautiful section, you have the Apostle Paul almost role-playing as if he were in a courtroom. And it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then all of a sudden he says, this is what the devil's going to try to do. He's going to try to bring charges against you. 
Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And we start to get nervous thinking, here come the charges. He's going to point out my sin. He's going to point out my shortcomings. And he says, yeah, but it's God who justifies. And in Jesus' work, we stand clear. What else do we say? Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? And then we start to get nervous again saying, I think I separated myself. I'm going through these sufferings. I don't feel like I'm a good enough Christian. And then he goes on to say, no. Even in the moments of suffering, even when the world has given up on you, even when your own mind is starting to wonder, be certain of this. You're a superhero. All right, he doesn't say superhero, but he does say you're more than conquerors. And that word more than conquerors is an invented word by the Apostle Paul, which literally means you're a super conqueror. A superman. You are someone who has something that this world could never have. You're a conqueror because your confidence is the one who fought your battle for you and gives you peace. And for that reason, take whatever you will, whether it's life or death. Take whatever you will, whether it's angels or demons. Take whatever it is, the present or the future. Nothing is going to separate you from God's love because grace won and the victory is final. Can you imagine more comforting and powerful words for one who has already gone on record saying, I presently am going through suffering? And that's why the Apostle Paul is handing these words to us. And that's why when we go through the thinking process of what is it that makes a good Christian the answer is, don't ask that question, but ask the question, a good Christian has confidence in God, why? A good Christian has confidence in God because he has already conquered all that could stand in our way. And so we stand with conviction in our heart that regardless of the challenges and the problems and the things that are so challenging and menacing in our life today, we lift our head and we say, but I'm a conqueror because Christ's work on the cross does not change and my hope is secure. Grace wins. The victory is final. And every day we're blessed to live in that confidence. Amen. Now may the peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may it guide your hearts and your minds in Jesus our Lord. Amen.